Hi, my name is Jill and welcome to The Void, the show where I have an existential crisis in public. I hope you're doing well. I'm still struggling with a little tedium vida myself, but, um, you know, hanging in there. Anyway, I want to get straight to the point. Um, I realized as I was scrolling past Instagram, I saw yet another pastel colored, slightly condescending illustration filled with feminist platitudes. I was like, hmm. It's a good thing that I know that this is not feminist theory, but that this is an interpretation of feminist theory. And then I thought, wait, how many people actually understand that this is a personal interpretation of feminist theory? Because for a lot of people, these little illustrations and, you know, hot takes by their favorite content creators are the only exposure they get to feminist content. If that's the case, how many people who identify as feminists actually understand feminism? Social media is not being honest about its complexity. And I'm not saying everyone needs a, you know, like a doctorate in gender studies to understand that women deserve rights. But if you identify with a group whose ideology is completely based on the critical theory and you make content with the intent of relating it to this group, you sort of kind of need to know the theory. Or at least if you want to know what you're talking about and why you're talking about it and whether you're emphasizing the right things for the right reasons. Especially now in this day and age where feminism has been simplified to such an extent that it devolves into near nothingness. I can confidently say that if feminism was truly as simple as Instagram makes it look, we'd have very little use for it in the first place. And that is a problem. I get it, okay? I get the loose inter interpretation of feminist literature, I understand because the theory is hard and um, it's just very hard. It's, it's not easy to read. As someone who has read feminist theory, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it was an enjoyable read because it wasn't, okay? If I had to choose between feminist essays or a book about how the mob single-handedly brought heroin into America, my preference will go to the latter. In fact, Here's a fun example of one of the worst sentences I've ever read. It's from a feminist essay called Heterosexualism and the Colonial Modern Gender System by Maria Lagones. I had to write it down because I was just baffled by how crappy the sentence is. To understand the relation of the birth of the colonial modern gender system to the birth of global colonial capitalism with the centrality of the coloniality of power to that system of global power is to understand our present organization of life anew. Try reading thousands of pages of that. This is obviously way less entertaining than a cutesy little typography thing that says men are trash. I get it. With that being said, I love how accessible social media makes feminism, but I hate how much it simplifies it. It dilutes feminism in the process so much that you have to wonder how much of it is still feminism. Everyone calls themselves a feminist. The criteria by which we get to call ourselves that are just very unclear. I can remember even Sarah Palin called herself a feminist, who is extremely pro-life if you needed reminding. So if everyone is a feminist, is anyone? Because I miss honesty about it. Off the top of my head, you have radical feminism, separatist feminism, liberal feminism, Marxist feminism, post-structural feminism, post-modern feminism, cultural feminism, there's feminist empiricism. First, I tried to talk about every single type of feminist theory and I didn't even go into details. All I did was talk about what every feminist theory's main ideas were and academic criticism. And I shit you not, it took me over an hour 
okay? If that doesn't tell you that feminist theory is really, really complex, then I don't know what does. How is it possible that everyone on Instagram understands feminism? There is no way. I've never, ever, ever seen on social media someone talking about how important it is to know the theory because if you don't, you mix sentiments of completely different and often contradictory feminist theory. For instance, you can't be a radical feminist and a cultural feminist because cultural feminists believe in essentialism. They believe that women are naturally empathetic and kind and thoughtful and sweet. And radical feminists don't believe that. You can't both be an essentialist and believe in the patriarchy because if you're an essentialist you also believe the patriarchy can't be overthrown because you believe that patriarchy is a natural result of men and women living together so super complex too complex to reduce to a slogan on an overpriced t-shirt so instagram feminism the one thing that makes me suspect that people don't really understand feminism is the lack of questions about it. I often call questioning things the jet fuel to our thinking. So when I notice no questions are being asked, I just know people aren't thinking for themselves. Right now it's being treated more like dogma than the theory it actually is. I'm not sure who wins when we treat feminism like it's infallible because what it results in is people rallying behind the cause, not because they understand it, but because not doing so results in a social penalty. That's not good. <laughs> and I'm not sure who's actually benefiting from that. It would be so much more helpful if we actually talked about the incomplete parts of feminist theory, because like every other theory on the planet, it has holes in it. And not acknowledging that leaves everyone with a very shallow understanding of what it even is. And this lack of questioning never forces anyone confronted with this content to actually engage with it. Instagram basically force feeds what feminism is to people instead of making people think it just says, hey, hello, this is feminism. Only a bigoted cow would not like this. I know there are so many people out there who have questions that they do not voice because social media is not a place that's very conducive to questioning common discourse. One time, I posted something about not liking Megan Thee Stallion's new album. I was called a misogynist who has a problem with black women. <laughs> Let's just say I understand that people are not on Instagram going, hey, what is actually the deal with this? I don't understand this. People are using really difficult words. Of course, people are not going to ask. It's not a safe space for ideas. This podcast is a safe space for ideas where we can question things and look at them from different perspectives. So let's just do it. Let's just look at feminism in an honest, attached way. So what is feminism? If you Google what is feminism, you find four different definitions of what feminism is and two different definitions for what it's fighting for. So there's no consensus about whether feminism is a movement, a range of movements, a belief, or whether it's fighting for women's rights or equal rights. So for now, let's just say that feminism is, is all of those things. Every feminist theory has in common is that they all believe that women are oppressed. The only thing that varies is the source of this oppression. Patriarchy, capitalism, our socialization or self-policing. Also the way in which they believe we can change it. The societal overhaul, getting rid of capitalism, completely separating women from men. So the first wave of feminism happened between 1848 and 1920. The women's right movement at that time was very closely involved with the abolitionist movement. Still, they were pissed off that black men could vote before white women. So the main focus of this wave was making sure that white women could vote. 
The second wave happened between 1963 and the 80s, and the main focus of this wave was mostly reproductive rights and rethinking traditional gender roles. Abortion was legalized and the Equal Pay Act happened. The third wave happened from the 1990s until about now. Women started distancing themselves from the word feminism because it was something uncool that their moms did, but the spirit of the wave was just as feminist as the wave before it. Riot girl bands started popping up and the main focus of this wave was encouraging women to express their individuality and their sexuality. Also, intersectionality happened. The fourth wave is now. And I did some research and it is very hard to find a defining feature for this wave. And I honestly don't know whether this wave is difficult to define because we're still smack dab in the middle of it or whether this wave is defined by its lack of definition. Anyway, this is called the age of digital feminism and it still has the same themes as the third wave, you know, expressing your sexuality and your individuality. The only thing that's added to this one is holding men accountable. Since I still have a metric fuck ton of questions, I'm just going to ask them here. Every feminist theory is built on the idea that women are oppressed and the definition of oppression is the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel or unjust manner. Except for in cases where there's physical violence involved, I would say this suggests subjectivity. What this woman finds cruel and burdensome and unjust might be completely different from what the next woman over considers so. Is it reasonable to say every woman is oppressed by the patriarchy? And is every woman oppressed in the same way? And if some women don't experience living in patriarchy as oppressive, can they still be considered oppressed? Are the women who don't experience it as such still taken into account into the movement? Instagram feminists love to say that feminism is about equality, which is a beautifully pacifist response, but it renders the movement kind of spineless. It's called feminism because women's rights are supposed to be front and center in the movement. For instance, women are just as free as men to enjoy casual sex. But what equal rights doesn't take into account is that women have a way higher chance of being choked out during a one night stand or ending up pregnant. Women just face a different set of challenges that equality does does not account for, which is something that women's rights does take into account. Trying to gain equality with men ignores the fact that living in a female body comes with a unique set of problems. Also equality implies that women should become more like men to get the same privileges, but feminism only makes sense if the goal is to create a society in which women are just as respected and considered as worthy, just as they are as women. Feminism doesn't have to be about people who don't identify as female. It's okay if it's just about women. That's fine. And I think the fact that people are so scared to admit that it is also does not do anything good for the movement. But let's elaborate on the equality motif. Let's say the main goal is to make sure that women are equal to men. What men do women want to be equal to? I'm guessing white men, but even men who aren't white aren't equal to white men. So aren't we ignoring the problems that men face thanks to their intersecting identities by lumping them into the same category of men, even if they don't enjoy the same privileges as men who do not have intersecting identities? And doesn't the whole idea of wanting to be equal to men still prop up men as the golden standard? And then we have Instagram's favorite buzzword, 
intersectional feminism. The main idea is if you're marginalized in more than one dimension, it creates a whole new experience. It's kind of like you have table salt to flavor your food and battery acid to make your car run. If you combine the two, the smoke that comes off it is anhydrous hydrochloric acid, which you cannot use to flavor your food or make your car run. So it becomes a whole different element and people are kind of the same. Here's a fun fact. This whole theory was only constructed as a way to explain how anti-discrimination laws in court were still not really up to par. General Motors had this thing where they only hired black men or white women. There was this court case, three black women sued General Motors for discrimination, but because they were hiring marginalized groups of people already, these women lost the case. In that time, people weren't allowed to file both gender and race claims. You were only allowed to file one claim. And Crenshaw thought, but wait, what if you're a black woman? So basically, Crenshaw was like, the anti-discriminatory laws are cute, but black women are falling through the cracks. So maybe look at that. In the academic spheres, it's considered a skeletal concept, but that makes sense because it wasn't made to be generalized out of court context. That's why it only focuses on sex and gender. Crenshaw herself is still very much alive and reflected on her own theory as one that is very wide, but not very deep. She said, and I quote, sometimes I've read things that say intersectionality, blah, 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 and then I wonder, Oh, I wonder whose intersectionality that is. And then I'd see me cited and I was like, I've never written that. It's not identity politics on steroids. It's not a mechanism to turn white men into the new pariahs. It's basically a lens, a prism for seeing the way in which various forms of inequality often operate together and exacerbate each other. Basically, intersectionality is one of the most misunderstood words I've seen in feminism. It has turned into the oppression Olympics. People just add up all the different dimensions of their identity and then act like there's a score that tells them how easy or hard life is going to be. That's not how intersectionality was meant. It's an observation, not an explanation. All it says is that your experience is different. It doesn't say it's worse or better. It just says it's different. And the moment you try to use it as a explanation, it homogenizes the experience of people with multiple marginalized identities, which is very shallow. So I agree with Crenshaw. It is a wide theory, but it's not deep because it doesn't tell us anything about anything. It's just the description and that's fine because we get in trouble as soon as we start using it as an explanation or even if we use it as a guide to inform our behavior towards people. And if it were meant to be generalized, it would fall victim to aversive racism, meaning that it could be used as a way to assert or establish racial innocence because they're highlighting heavily marginalized people so they look good instead of that they actually have to come to terms with their own racism and patriarchy. The whole concept of patriarchy is complex. Um, I spent, I think, maybe a week of reading to understand what the hell it was about. And I realized that the way it's being used now, it's interesting, but it's not what it's supposed to be used as. Kate Millett wrote a book called Sexual Politics, and it is the first book that pinpointed patriarchy as the reason for male privilege. And she called it the most fundamental concept of power and the most pervasive ideology in our culture. And she saw patriarchy as an all-encompassing entity that was everywhere. All behavior that came from it were tools designed to oppress women. According to this theory, motherhood and even romantic love were just ways to keep women in the home, to keep them docile. And the male-female relationship is inherently a master-slave relationship. Women were raised to appease patriarchy. And this 
theory does a good job explaining difference in power that women experience and it does a good job explaining the history of relationship dynamics between men and women but it says nothing about where the hell it came from and anthropologists have seven hypotheses on why patriarchy is a thing but since these are all essentialist in nature, a lot of big feminist theorists like Bell Hooks rejected this idea of patriarchy. Feminist writers who rejected Millet's theory did not believe that patriarchy was a way for men to oppress women because not all men have power over all women and not all patriarchal behavior comes from men. So Bell Hooks said, okay, there's a patriarchy, but it doesn't come from anywhere. It's not women suffering from patriarchy because of men. It's everyone's suffering because of patriarchy. It happens that some men are benefiting from it now, but they're not benefiting from it equally. They haven't caused it to exist and they're paying a huge price for it. My point is patriarchy is a really hard concept. It was never a thing to be smashed. Rather, it was supposed to be an invisible mechanism by which to explain women's experiences in the world, a lens through which to see those. Kind of like how in psychology, you have the concept of the memory system. We have a vague understanding of how memory works, but you can't grab a memory memory, right? The concept is completely intangible. And the problem with trying to turn something intangible into something concrete is that it falsely implies that it has a source. But no feminist theory has ever been able to pinpoint one. Also, not to be a semantic snob, in academia, no one writes the patriarchy. It's always patriarchy, because the patriarchy implies a concreteness that's simply not there. To quote feminist thinker Jacqueline Rose, if patriarchy weren't effective, we wouldn't need feminism. If it were totally effective, we wouldn't have feminism. I love that quote. Obviously patriarchy exists, but it just falls short as a complete explanation of how the world is organized. It can't be an explanation because you can't prove it. We can absolutely prove sexism, but proving patriarchy is going to be difficult. I notice people are using patriarchy and sexism interchangeably, but there's a semantic difference between the two. If patriarchy is the machine, sexism is the fuel, but we don't know where the machine is. We all know it's there, we feel it's there. Patriarchy is absolutely there, but we don't know to what extent and we don't know where it comes from. You can't believe men are victims of patriarchy and are patriarchy. We're all patriarchy. There's no source, it's everywhere. Like Foucault said, true power is everywhere, not because it encompasses everything but it comes from everywhere and patriarchy is is no different and this gets lost online there's a big difference between using patriarchy as a description you know what it was meant to do and as an explanation which it just can't do feminist writers the only one i can remember is mary beard criticized the way patriarchy is being used in pop culture now it has turned into a reproach and there's a difference between yelling smash the patriarchy as a slogan because again that implies a source and there is no source and using the term patriarchy as a starting point for analysis because you have not explained anything by saying that something is caused by patriarchy when we use it in a deterministic way, we fail to explain differences in experiences with it and we underplay everyone's agency in it. I hope I make sense. If you say, wow, that's patriarchy, okay, and now what? It should be the beginning of analysis, not the end of it. And if you're like, Jill, you're making this unnecessarily complex. Feminism is about choice, period. Women can do whatever the hell they want and they should empower themselves. That is what feminism is, okay? Okay, but what if I tell you that you're wrong?
First of all, I hate the term female empowerment. It implies a lack of power in the first place. And the whole idea only makes sense if you believe that women are inherently powerless. So I don't use the word empowerment. I hate it. And second of all, feminism can't be about choice. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. If you're a feminist, you believe in patriarchy, remember? So every choice a woman makes is made within those limits. How much freedom is there under those circumstances? Reducing feminism to choice is just repackaged neoliberalism. It's awesome that a woman now can work 60 hours a week and be a mom. But why don't we question why it's necessary to work a 60 hour week in the first place? We're again all single-handedly made responsible for our success and our failure. Making choice the main thing of feminism doesn't take structures into account. It just puts the responsibility of change into individual hands, which is nonsense. We're doing nothing to overhaul the status quo by making it about individual choice. And this one, believing feminism is all about choice is implying that every choice a woman makes is inherently feminist. Why the hell would that be the case? Remember, we're all patriarchy. So why would the choices women make be inherently more feminist than the choices men make? If you're a feminist, you can't be an essentialist, meaning you cannot believe that women are naturally more caring, more nurturing, more loving, etc. So you can't both be feminist and believe the sheer act of a woman making a choice is feminist by default. Unless of course you're a cultural feminist, which is the only feminist theory that believes in essentialism. A woman's right to choose is definitely feminist, but that doesn't mean her choices are. You know, the fact that a woman posts a thirst trap is considered feminist because a woman made it. But what is that thirst trap doing to make sure that people receive education about the cultural complexities of clitorectomies? This take of female choice being inherently feminist is so individualistic that we have to wonder if the label of feminism is even necessary. This whole choice feminism thing is the reason why Instagram feminism is so shallow. Every individual woman is enforcing certain thoughts and perceptions about her. It's very much about managing this one individual image of this one individual woman instead of about feminist issues that do not concern her directly. Also, it's very paradoxical to say feminism is about choice, but then to absolutely annihilate women who say they don't agree with it or that, that they're anti-feminist or whatever. I posted this picture of a woman that says, I don't need feminism because I something, something was on the thing. I don't even remember. Well, people were already mad about that. That is so hypocritical about choice feminism. She can choose unless her choice is wrong. In that case, fuck her right to choose. I don't know, obviously don't agree with anti-feminists. They also don't agree with treating them like the scum of the earth. They're women and they've made a choice. I think choice feminism is so reductive, but if you do believe that feminism is about individual choice, shouldn't these women also have a choice not to be feminist? No one talks about how confusing it is that social media conflates nudity with liberation. I really cannot imagine being a young woman and seeing every nude picture accompanied with a caption about self-love and blah 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 because you might grow up thinking those two have anything to do with each other. Which they don't, by the way. They don't. It's interesting how female bodies who still very much appease to the male gaze become empowering as soon as a woman chooses her own objectification. The messaging is very feminist but the images are very male-centered so it just makes it very like confusing. It's interesting. Treating everything a woman does as inherently feminist instead of looking at those choices and what they mean in a wider feminist context just 
absolutely suffocates all dialogue, all meaningful dialogue about feminism. It just moves feminism out of this realm of critical theory and into this realm of dogmatism where nothing a woman does can be questioned simply because she's a woman. Think about how much more interesting the discussion would be if we could talk about why we feel we need to look a certain way still to feel empowered. Why do we feel empowered when we're naked? Why is that? Why do we find this particular image hot and not that one? Why do we feel hot when we look this way and not that way? That's interesting to talk about, not just, oh, that's patriarchy, okay, that's a choice a woman made, okay. The current narrative about feminism just completely suffocates that dialogue. And you could argue, okay, a woman's choice doesn't always have to be feminist because she's still a person. But this does raise the question, when can we call ourselves feminists? Can we call ourselves feminists if we agree with feminist theory or act on feminist theory? If we can only call ourselves feminists if we act on feminist theory, can we still call ourselves feminists if we only act on feminist theory sometimes? If our actions only sometimes serve the collective? And if we can call ourselves feminists on beliefs alone, is feminism then still even a movement? I have no answers. But the fact that there are so many questions that one can ask and I see no one do it is a dead giveaway that people are more concerned with looking like they're woke than actually being woke. And that was my take on feminism. I'm not doing this to be a dick. <laughs> I just hate it when actually interesting discussion makes place for these shallow interactions in which everyone just agrees with each other. It's boring, you don't learn anything, it doesn't deepen your understanding, it literally serves no purpose, it becomes very performative then. Understanding requires questioning. Social media has created an environment in which people don't dare to question things and I don't agree with that. I will question everything. I will question my own reality. I will question my own existence. Nothing should be treated like gospel. I honestly am just always baffled when people don't question things. If you are somewhere where there is something that cannot be questioned, I promise you something weird is going on. Every construct that is solid can handle a bit of questioning. Trust. Let's just make this podcast and this channel a place, a safe place for ideas. I love it when you subscribe. I love it when you tell me you listen to these episodes and share your own experiences. I love it when you give me a good rating on Spotify and iTunes. And I love the fact that you spent a little bit of your time with me. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And um, I'll see you in the next one. Bye.